This is Sound and Vision. I'm Rachel Stevens on KEXP, and I'm here with our resident, Fred Again Stan. Welcome, TFO. <laughs> hello. Hello, Rachel. How are you? I'm doing well. Fred Again is a UK, basically super producer, who's been working behind the scenes for years for huge pop stars. And you told me like a crazy stat about 2019 or something. What was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 2019, he actually had a hand in 30% of the UK's number one singles, which is just <laughs> an astonishing number of tracks. Um, but yeah, he's he's been, he's been behind the scenes doing amazing stuff um, for so many years. And then in April of 2021, he finally decided to drop a debut album um, encouraged by his mentor, Brian Eno, Ambient wow. God, um, <laughs> and then dropped two records in the same year. So he's, wow. he's on a roll. <laughs> and he has a new single out, correct? He does. The Amazing Jungle. And so does this mean that there's a new record coming out? You know, interestingly, um, when I talked to Fred, he said that these collaborations that he does are kind of um, a different lane of creativity for him. But also in the uh, in the interview, we did talk about how Actual Life 3 is on its way. And in his opinion, it's his most distilled um, version of his sound. So I'm so excited for it to come out. And he keeps, uh, he keeps teasing little moments of it on Instagram and all of it just sounds incredible. Awesome. Well, as you said, you did get to talk to Fred again in April about the anniversary of his album and just like about life and music in general. So let's take a listen to that. Great. I'm Tia Ho, contributor for KEXP. In April of 2021, super producer Fred Gibson stepped out from behind the scenes and shook the foundations of electronic music with his debut solo record under the name Fred Again. Actual Life, April 14 through December 17, 2020, is a love letter that samples a world in lockdown and distills grief, longing, and hope into deeply resonant songs. Ahead of the one-year anniversary of the instant classic, I spoke to Fred about making a pandemic release that has moved millions, one track at a time. I know that you've cited the BPM, like the rhythmic cadence of speech as something that you listen for, that people just kind of naturally have in in their speaking voices. And then there's also like, of course, the lyrical content of all these poets and orators who you surround yourself with and who you track down. Is there one that you kind of lead with when you're looking for a sample? It's the lyric above everything, probably. But that's kind of such the main thing. It almost becomes subconscious. Like, of course, you're not going to sample something unless it resonates with you. So like once it's gotten through that door, then it's like the tone of it. It's really fun finding the the groove people talk in. There's often what feels like a right answer. Mm -hmm. Like often it feels almost unusually objective realm of music making. Like it's like you kind of try a few and then you're like, oh, yeah, there they are. They're actually in this tempo. And that's just correct, which is quite Mm -hmm. unusual in making songs. So I really enjoy that like little puzzle that generally happens at the beginning. Usually with almost every one of these songs, I'll make kind of four versions very quickly at the beginning in different grooves and feelings. And then the next day I'll listen and be like, oh, it's that one. And, th- and then you can really go in on like, you know, spending hours and hours on 
the actual song of it. But the thing that matters most to me is not going down the road, spending hours and hours on a thing that is fundamentally fighting the heart of the sample. Do you have a guiding principle when you're playing with a sample to maintain its emotional integrity? I don't, but at the beginning I was enormously conflicted about this. I would get like incredibly angst-ridden about it. I'd be sitting making songs like sort of sweating with stress about the fact that I'm like ruining their thing. Like for example, Sabrina, I am a party. I am a party. That was probably the sample that I felt the most like, oh my God, this is sacrilegious. As I started to like pitch her and stuff and you start warping her and you start feeling like you're messing with somebody's soul and you're bastardizing their purity. And, and I was like, ah, oh, this is right on the brink of not okay. But eventually got somewhere that felt okay with it. And then Sabrina has been probably the most effusive and like lovely. And I sent her a video two nights ago, of like everyone singing her lyrics to Manchester and she loves it. And it, it's something that she's also proud of. A few examples like that have sort of liberated me, I think, to feel like, okay, it's a different thing. If you don't make something good, that's fine. No one needs to hear it. <laughs> and if you do, maybe they will. But yes, yeah, so I think I don't have any one guiding principle, but I definitely think about it an awful lot. So the first song is Yasmina, See Your Face Again. And the repetition of I Can't Wait to See Your Face Again makes this almost too perfect of a pandemic companion. Was that what led you to write this song? Yes, weirdly, I mean, I think what I was sort of dealing with was actually unrelated to the pandemic, but the duality of it is something I'm totally open to. I mean, I, I'm a big believer that songs mean what they mean to people. I don't decide what they mean. Like, they become other people's. So yes, for me, it was about wanting to see someone, but like, it wasn't actually because of the pandemic that we were apart. Well, regardless, I mean, the song's the perfect segue into the Hackney interlude. My car's just about arrived, but I am... Um... I miss you. You have a lot of interludes in actual life. They all offer points of connection between the different chapters in the album. What were the bridges you wanted to build with each of the interludes in this record? I think I like it feeling scrapbooky because songs are capable of getting very like grand and abstractified. And so I like constantly bringing them back to earth. Like sometimes I like the feeling of like you start with a sample and then over the course of the song it kind of expands into this more and more sort of romanticized version of itself. But I want to constantly ground it because I don't want it to sound like concept album of abstract thoughts. I want it to sound like a diary. A great byproduct of your production style is how you kind of sidestep cliches by sampling people who speak to these everyday desires and pains in their own words. I love the Julia Michaels sample. I'm deep diving into your emotions. And sometimes I think I might be broke. But you're bringing back all my feelings. And Julia deep diving, it's such an arresting and honest clip that I think you found on her Instagram account. Yeah, her tone is incredible. Like that. I mean, that's one where it's like the tone of her speaking voice is just the most infectiously, it, like, it's like vulnerable, but like so cute and like so endearing. And like, yeah, her tone, I was just, I can't believe how it's as lovely as her singing tone. That was one where it was a beautiful marriage of like what she was saying and just the way she sounds when she says those words. It's like she completely encompasses them. 
Do you have a song in mind from the moment you hear a sample, or do you kind of discover as you write? Yes, every now and then you get a pure moment where you kind of see it all, but most of it is chipping away at the, the big block of granite or whatever to try and reveal what it wants to be. I met、um, Max Richter. Do you know him? He's a classical、mm-hmm. composer. I met him for the first time last week, and he、um, is a, a real hero of mine. He said something that is very much resonated. He was like, "The thing I'm looking for is the moment when the songs or the piece of music starts telling you what it needs." Because at the beginning, you're just kind of chipping away, but often there's a moment which is where you really start to gather steam, where you feel it wanting to go here now, and then go to there now, and then, and it becomes an organism that you're interacting with, and that's very much what I think he and I both are aiming for with these. You kind of just like throw paint, and then hopefully after a certain amount of time, it starts to reveal something and demand action from you. I've heard a lot of artists talk about how there's like a spirit that guides me, or there's something that moves me towards a specific melody or a song, and you know, however spiritual or ethereal you want to get with it. I love the idea of these songs having their own energy, and、mm. as an artist, kind of being the bridge between that energy and the rest of the world or your listeners. It's really totally. Beautiful. It's definitely most of my life that quest. <laughs>、mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, well, the Adam interlude, the seventh track here, ushers in a pretty different chapter of actual life. I mean, I love Amina's sample that brings us in. I bench press my problems like add another weight. But the focus ends up being your voice. Turn out the lights so we forget this room. Tell me you're alright, and we'll pretend it's true. This seems to be where your story takes hold of the collaborative diary, especially in the next song, "Heavy." Nicely put. You're putting this better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Thank you. I've spent countless hours listening to this record. I love it so much.、Um, thank you. Yeah. I mean, there are so many things to say about "Heavy." It's such a beautiful emotional centerpiece, and it departs from the other songs in a number of ways, including production. What is that synth that carries us through the song? I have been trying to figure it out for too long. It, it's、um, a rogue bit of sound design, like it's a thing that me and Hen, Joy Anonymous, who's my best friend and downstairs, we live together. It's a thing we made on a random, peaceful lockdown, solitary day, where we were taking these samples of people playing the, like different cello notes from YouTube, and then you feed them through this plugin that, funnily enough, that I was shown by Brian Eno. This plugin called Morph, and it's really powerful because you can like feed the rhythmic information of one source into another. So in that, it's a drum beat that goes like a drum break, but then you amalgamate that with the cello notes, and it becomes these very like othery tones that you couldn't actually make any other way. Which I find like there's no way of making that sound on a Synth, it just wouldn't be possible. All of the intricacies of the live notes. So yeah, I was very drawn to that sound. Heavy is not only departing from the rest of the record through production, but it's also the only track on Actual Life without a feature sample. Instead, we hear more of your story. So I was wondering if you could speak to the inspiration behind Heavy. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just the sort of time at which there wasn't really anything. I'd stumbled across that said what I needed to say 
and I was like, it makes sense to me that somewhere in the middle there would be a moment where no, I, it, would, it didn't make sense to try and have someone else say the specific things that I wanted to say. So like, I had to man up or whatever you want to say and sing myself, which I was very uncomfortable doing. So yes, I just kind of wrote the verses over the course of a few weeks when I'd be on the train. It's just sort of the disintegration of a person you love into being very ill. I'd never really had that before, particularly not someone young. So like mm. it's yeah, a new a new realm for me. You meet your listeners with an astonishing amount of honesty in that song. I think artists often make the songs that don't exist yet that they want to hear. And I can certainly say that I've never heard anything like Heavy before. And um, yeah, I was writing about actual life as my album of the year for last year. And that's when I discovered that you fell in love and ended up having to spend a lot of time on the phone with her. Before I'd seen the album as this patchwork of pandemic pain and beauty and heartache stitched together with your immaculate production. And I still think that. But after learning more about your experience, it feels kind of like a chorus of these wonderful people brought together in a love letter of sorts. Yeah, I think that is it. Yeah. I know that obviously this album is deeply personal to you, but you've said that whatever experiences people project onto it are equally as meaningful. And for me, that was kind of the moment when your music became therapy, living with it, feeling it change. It, more than other records for me, is kind of this living, breathing thing. Uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Just as fit for a rave as it is for a bedroom cry. Honestly, I think that's why you are one of, if not the most exciting artist in this genre. The way you sample actual people in your actual life is so exhilarating and so original. I have to think that what you're doing is going to inspire an evolution in music at large. Uh, that's very nice of you to say. I'm going to keep keep going. Um, yeah, I used to be sort of more driven by bigger feeling things. And now I'm increasingly obsessed with just trying to make the purest possible representation of a few months. The goal for me has just become that, probably because of the people and the messages I read, like they've very much changed my makeup, I think, in terms of what I think is the best thing I can make or the best thing I can do. Yeah, and the the third one I'm sure is the purest. I'm getting better at like making it as concise and focused and undiluted. This next one I'm really excited because I'm sure that it's the most pure I've made it yet. But I'm sure that in three years I'll be saying, no, 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 it was nowhere near. This one is the, so yeah, and that's the carrot that I'm loving to chase. <laughs> This is a track-by-track for the one-year anniversary of Actual Life. So looking back on the year, is there anything that you want to say about one year of it being released? Uh, Thank you to the people who changed the way I make music. That would be it. And live, I guess, because that's my life. So, (laughs) And they're all one and the same. So yeah, thank you. Actual Life 1 and Actual Life 2 are out now on Atlantic Records. I'm Tia Ho for KEXP. That was KXP contributor Tia Ho talking with the artist Fred again. His latest album, Real Life 3, is dropping any second now. Your guess is as good as ours. Thanks for listening, and remember to rate and review this podcast if you love us. 
for Sound and Vision. I'm Rachel Stevens. Thank you.